0: This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 84 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by David and Brady. Uh, gentlemen, we've got a lot to talk about the spring game. Georgia State held their spring game On Friday, it was a blue and white game was done via a draft of the roster and it ended up being a tight one all game. In the end, a late Dawson Hill touchdown gave Team White a 23-17 lead and they would hold on to that for the final score. One notable thing to mention, rising senior safety Keon Carter found out at halftime that he'd be put on scholarship for the rest of his career at Georgia State. So congrats to Keon for earning
1: that. Uh, Gentlemen, thoughts on the spring game? Well, I feel like it's probably only fair for me to lead, given I was actually there and able to watch it. Feeling um, uh, like that wouldn't be fair to David to be like, eh, "What are your thoughts, David?" At no final please. score. We Those can highlights
2: that you read. We can riff raff as best as with the. We can riff raff with the best of them, so you know.
1: I'll say, um, I still I was there in the fall for a handful of the games and covering it. It still was nice to be able to be back at a live sporting event. It was a good crowd for a spring game, especially for a Georgia state spring game, the way some of those have been. And I think that it was mission accomplished for everything the coaching staff wanted because two reasons, one got out of there without any injuries. And that was something coach Elliott was quick to emphasize throughout the end of this spring. It's just like, please let's get to the finish line without hitting any major injuries. And that happened. And two, they got the desired result with the draft because the players were in it from the openings, kick and it was just a normal football game uh the thing that usually happens with spring games uh especially when you're not able to have a full roster but even in times where teams have their full roster available whatever there's just the offense versus defense scoring system and nobody really understands what's happening and are it's kind of like whose lines is it anyway with points and so even watching the crowd if you're a knowledgeable football person it's hard to get into when it's kind of like an esoteric, like points are given even when points don't get on the board. And this was done just a straight up and down normal football game. And so I think that probably helps to uh, continue to add to it feeling like a real thing, like a real football game. And, you know, it was, it was a real football game and can't say enough that we can't take this stuff for granted.
2: We absolutely can't. You know, um, my butt might not have been in that seat, but it's still lovely that we are where we are in 2021. And, you know, you were able to go see a football game and, you know, Jordan might be behind the mic, so to speak. But he was still able to get on the field and take some pictures, um, which uh, that's phenomenal. So um, I guess I'll put myself in the seat of a fan so and i asked you some questions brady um namely obviously georgia state's defenders weren't trying as hard as they would be but was there anything that you saw that would indicate they are better than last year there's a different scheme than last year like what would you say were your takeaways from the defensive side of the ball from the spring game
1: well uh first we should say that in spring games more than you know in In normal games, the offense inherently has the advantage and the defense has to play catch-up. But in the spring game, because the defense has been practiced against this offensive playbook all spring, I don't know that either team necessarily has an advantage, but the defense definitely is in a better place because they've been seeing the same looks. They can pick up on stuff. And so the defense looked good. 23-17 in a game where the offenses were breaking out trick plays and, you know... Dan Ellington threw a touchdown, though that didn't count. Uh, well, wait, Coach Coach Dan <laughs> yeah. Ellington threw a touchdown? Yeah, we can sidetrack here. So they ran a double pass. Dan ran off the sideline into the field of play and threw it down to Ulrich John in the end zone, who was an alum of Georgia State, who was here for the spring game. Uh, it was a, a fun moment, and Coach Elliott in the postgame was like, I would have given credit for the touchdown, but Dan didn't throw a good enough pass, so I didn't. Uh, but anyway there was a lot of that stuff going on but even still it was his low scoring 20 23 17 and there were some defensive stands um I guess what I could say is that you saw the characteristics of flying around you saw some defenders making plays on the ball you saw the pass rush working I mean it's hard again to judge the pass rush in a game where if they get anywhere near the quarterback when they can't get tackled the ref just blows the whistle and so I there were some sacks quote unquote but you know, still got to do the final part of it to get a sack in an actual game. But we saw some of that from, I think Shamar McCollum got a sack. The change from quarterback uh, Jamil Muhammad got a sack that I saw. And I'm sure there are a couple others. Uh, The question for the defense, I think will be the sack production and just the pass rush production that obviously you lost Jordan Strawn and that's a big loss. He was the nation's leading sack guy last year. And, I think there's a lot of guys on the roster and the two that I just named were guys who weren't on the roster last year. And so you add into guys that are being active in the pass rush to the huge group they've got with Jeff Clark, Dante Wilson, Hardrick Willis still back. I think that that is, you know, there's a lot there to like. And in the spring game, you certainly did see activity on the defensive side.
2: Hey, you know, activity is good. That's usually uh that's usually what leads to better football players, you know, as long as they're being active and, you know, that the production usually follows after that. Um, you know, you mentioned Shamar McCollum, you know, the transfer from Wake Forest. Um, it's a spring game. I'm not going to sit here and say, like, how would you evaluate his performance? Because, you know, that's not really fair. But. For the Panther fans who are a little bit nervous about, you know, the transfer of Jordan Strawn, you know, what would you, what would you, what would your take be from watching the performance? Like specifically be.
1: So I didn't get a great, like, obviously I only got one look at every play. And, uh, so there's only so much I can say the coaches obviously have film and they've probably graded out as best they can for all the guys individually, but, like I say, it just, there was activity. Uh, there were some plays where I don't remember if it was McCollum or whether it was Muhammad, but guys coming from that rush end position where even if they didn't get home for the sack, they were bouncing off offensive linemen and getting into the, uh, into the backfield and forcing the quarterback to move around a little bit. And so even that stuff has been stuff that in years where Georgia state hasn't had success on defense, even stuff like affecting the quarterback, even without a sack hasn't been there. And so there was some of that and the offensive line wasn't the a unit for any time. Cause the offensive line was split up drafted different ways. So we don't really know how much of a look they've gotten with the good offensive line that we know Georgia state has. And we know that there's some good offensive lines that will test them, but and like I said, at one point we were talking about when Jordan Strawn transferred. Even if you take out his sacks, the sack total for Georgia State this past season was better than any other year. Even with removing Jordan Strawn's leading, uh, nation-leading sack totals. And so, I personally am not that worried about it. I think the production is still going to be there.
2: That's important. Um, You know, it's I think the next step for Georgia State is something that you mentioned just now, which is, you know, how are they going to be affecting quarterbacks, even if they don't get sacks? Because, you know, last year, I think the sack numbers were great, you know, but you don't need to get a sack to be effective on each play. And that was one area where Georgia State struggled. Um, You know, I can specifically remember that App State game. Uh, where Zach Thomas kind of was a little bit flushed out of the pocket. You know, no Panther got home and ended up completing a pass that he had probably no business completing. You know, so uh, that'll be definitely something to watch going forward. Um, And, you know, before I ask you about the offense as a whole, I do want to ask, did Sam have a ridiculous catch or was he kind of low key?
1: He almost did. Uh, the second to last play of the game. So a- as we said, it was a 23 17 team white win team blue had about a minute and change left on the clock to get a chance. And they did their little like nickel and diamond down the field to get into Hail Mary position. And the second to last, they got two attempts at it. The first one was Sam. He was open. And I think he just sailed just a little bit too much or he couldn't bring it down. And then the second one went out the back of the end zone. It wasn't really close and it wasn't the Sam Pickney, but uh he made that was what the Hail Mary there. And then there was another play where I figured who the quarterback was. Uh, they threw, he was just running an out, uh, or a go route. And, uh, he didn't know the ball was coming and it got to about right around his head. And he just looked up. He's like, Oh, and then he caught it. Like he was very clearly not aware the ball was coming and just like still got his hands up and caught it. He was out of bounds. It didn't count, but it was one of those like, Oh yeah, this guy's really good. And, uh, his, his instincts are still there like you know he'll be fine i mean that's <laughs> whatever you have yeah, those Plays we had, those drama. Nice. We had late, late game drama again adding to the point that it was what the coaches were looking for it ended up being a close game and you had a hail mary that could have gone the other way and it could have been a team blue win an upset by the terms we set out last week's pod And I mean, that's
2: that's exactly what we probably wanted. You know, I mean, it's a spring game. I know a few years ago we went and like you mentioned earlier in the pod, sometimes the scoring doesn't really matter. But as long as the players seem to have fun, then it's, I guess, nice that this year they got to have. So many different starters, um, so many different guys who would be the next man up playing on different sides of the ball on different teams. So it probably did affect the outcome of the game, um, which is good. Uh, And I guess now I want to ask about, um, obviously, Georgia State in 2019 was a really good running football team. And I think we I personally thought that they were a good one in 2020, but I suppose there are, you know, that's up for debate. And so I guess shed some light on, you know, the running back situation from the game, um, if you wouldn't mind.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, another caveat with the spring game, the quarterback's can't be a real factor in the run they pulled it they the quarterbacks did pull it on option plays sometimes and even got some yardage but again whenever anyone got within a couple feet of them the whistle was getting blown dead so it wasn't georgia state's running game is so there's so much driven by the quarterback being able to pull it and run it themselves so when they them they can't do that Really, in actuality, it does change the game. And there were certain plays where you could tell the front seven were keying in on the running back because they knew it was a run play and they knew that the guy was going to keep it. Uh, but th- that aside, there were still moments. Marcus Carroll busted out a long touchdown run. Uh, Dawson Hill had a nice run in the first half, I want to say. And then he got the game winning touchdown uh, down in the red zone. And he's a guy who he came in the same signing class as Destin Coates and Seth Page. And he's had some injuries and just hasn't really been able to get on the field. At all consistently, but given that Seth Page has gone from the program, uh, I think anytime anyone can show that they can perform on the field, they're gonna get it on the field. And so the running back depth isn't such that there aren't snaps available. Uh Destin's still around, Jam Williams were still he's gonna get a touchdown in 2021 for sure. Um, and Tucker Gregg always working hard. Uh, it's not a situation where I'd say it's a Weak depth, but it's a situation where if Dawson Hill, who is a three star recruit, is healthy finally and can put together long runs, it's only going to make the team better. Uh, there's also um, another running back who got in the end zone. uh New guy to the room, Dante Wilson. Is that his name? Uh, he got in a, a goal line package. Him and Malik Sumter both were given the ball in goal line packages. Dante actually scored though. So I feel like that there's probably some bragging rights to go around there. Again, Spring games are fun. You work in trick plays, you work in times where you get your uh linemen chances to get in the end zone. And you know, Dante did it. And I'm wondering if there's gonna be the underlying like him being like, Hey coach, remember the spring game when I got in the end zone? Like you can trust me in goal line situations.
2: I absolutely want to find I I just hope I'm manifesting this for future David. Um, I hope I'm watching film of Georgia state at some point in 2021. And I say, all right, there's the Dante Wilson touchdown. I I need it. I need that.
1: You got to even not even just handing off, but do the like flat route out of the backfield on the goal line where the guy, you know, no one's blocked. Like it's the easiest unblocked touchdown. If uh, no one takes him and, I know that uh, App State has run some plays for a defensive end. I think maybe last year, maybe the year before as well. Um, that's gotten them in the end zone. Shamarius has a touchdown. It was on a blocked field goal uh, that he recovered in the end zone in 2017. So he didn't need to get in the, the club. He's already in the touchdown club. Uh, so <laughs> I mean, we're we're talking in jest, but it's it's still like. A, a nice moment for a guy who's not necessarily going to get touchdowns all the time. And, you know, who knows? Maybe there's a chance to get him one for when the games actually count. That's, you know, that, that's the goal. And the last thing I wanted to touch on was uh, Jordan talked about it with Keon Carter going on scholarship. Uh, just a really cool moment. Uh, he's a guy who I remember he got a fumble recovery at Coastal uh, on special teams in 2019 a game George State ended up winning and that fumble and uh, all the the time they were able to milk because of that fumble ended up factoring in the win and he's a guy who just continued to find his way into the start you know into the lineup he played at the end of 2019 because Remy Lazarus got hurt and he ended up playing a couple of games where Antavius Lane couldn't go last year and it's just again we've talked about this with a couple of guys that have come through and earned scholarships in the football program We love seeing the guys who start as walk-ons and fight their way. And again, Coach Elliott was effusive of praise with him. And when asked about it, it was like, I didn't give him anything. He gave himself that scholarship. And so really nice moment. Another guy that isn't starting, but even at a position where you have a clear guy like Antavius that you know is going to be important for you, having a guy that can spell him and can still lay the boom and be just hanging around as a menace, like safeties can be, that's a good thing to have even at a position where you have a guy who's one of the best in the Belt already. Absolutely. Um, and I, I just
2: want to give two general thoughts on that. Um, obviously we are not perfect when it comes to spotting things. Um, but I definitely remember Keon Carter being active last year and, you know, us calling his name saying, Oh, that, you know, 35 just made a good play. It, is 35 um, you know, so that's definitely a nice moment for him, you know, to solidify his career at Georgia state. Um, and speaking of the moment, uh, I did see the tweet and um, honestly, I thought it was the funniest thing because Coach tried to bring him on, like bring him up in front of everybody and say, "All right, guys, you know, let's talk about it. Like, you know, we got to show everybody that he's gonna be on scholarship." And he just couldn't get the words out because everybody kept freaking out. Um, and then he finally quieted them down a little bit. And then he was just like, "All right, screw it, just everybody get crazy." So. Um, that was definitely a cool moment to see. You know, I'm sure it was a really cool moment for Keon. It looked like, you know, he had some family there as well. Um, you know, so hats off to him. And, you know, hopefully that parlays into some sort of success this year for him.
1: Yeah, it feels almost fitting that we end with that as far as spring game because well, it's the only thing that is gonna really, really count a couple months from now. It's nice to have live football. Uh, I think we have some takeaways that we talked about that show where the program is heading, and again. Can't say enough about the spring and just the depth that's available and really feels like a chapter is coming that is going to be what Georgia State fans have been waiting for with the football team.
0: So the rest of today's episode is a real treat for you guys. David and Brady were able to have a conversation with the Georgia State men's basketball head coach Rob Lanier this week, talking about the season that was 2020-2021 and looking ahead to what next season could bring, even working in some Atlanta and food talk. And we're going to play it for you now.
1: All right, at this time, we are very pleased to welcome our guest on Thursday Night Podcast today for the very first time, Georgia State men's head basketball coach, uh, Rob Lanier. Thanks for coming on. Thanks. I don't know why it took so long for you guys <laughs> to get me <you> know, <laughs> I finally made it. It's uh, so, a uh, time now, right? Yeah. Uh, first question I want to just ask is just generally, how are you, how are the guys doing? It's about a month out from what we could only tell from the outside was a different kind of tough college basketball season with all that it entailed.
3: Yeah, I I think, uh, as a group, in some ways, the season, uh, brought us together more. Um, obviously I think, you know, uh, now that the smoke is cleared for lack of a better phrase, um, you know, obviously we, we, we finished the season on a disappointing note. um, and like you said, it was a really challenging and unprecedented journey that we had throughout the course of the season. And uh, I, I think to a man, um, for the most part, when we talked about the season, looking back on it in our individual meetings, the word that kept coming up was chemistry. That uh, that we had good chemistry as a team. Um, it was something that developed throughout uh, the course of the the season. And uh, and I think the nature of the season had a lot to do with that. Uh,
2: you, you know, you kind of mentioned that it was a challenging season um, and obviously, you know, when we're talking about COVID, you know, a lot, a lot of times we're looking at it from the player's perspective, you know, they're going to have to be practicing or they're not going to be practicing, you know, they're not going to be meeting up with guys, but, you know, as a head basketball coach, what would you say was the most challenging part for you in kind of navigating this past, you know,
3: as you said, unprecedented season? Yeah, I think like you're saying, you guys look at it from the player's perspective. And I think that's our job too is to try to see things uh, from their perspective um, and try to find ways to uh, get them into a a healthy place mentally um, through everything that's going on. Those challenges exist in any year. Um, And we've challenged ourselves as coaches to always try to find out where they are, right? Um, What's their frame of mind? Individually and then collectively, what is their frame of mind, and where are they relative to where we need them to be competitively, but also personally, are they in a good space? And so, as a staff, and, and I give my staff a lot of credit, is that we we invested a lot of time in just trying to to be mindful of, of uh, where they are during some really unique times. And it was a unique perspective for me because I have a son who was a freshman who was going through uh, concurrently the same things up in North Carolina um, with his team and his ups and downs of being a freshman and and dealing with the issues that you inevitably had to deal with, with COVID. So um, I I think, again, like I said earlier, it brought us closer together. And... um, and from a leadership standpoint, I, I think, you know, our focus was was on the players.
1: And kind of just on the same note, you're at the point, I guess, in the offseason where you'd be normally evaluating the seasons. It's been looking at different players, but it feels like a really hard year to put fair evaluation just because guys had times they were missing. And even if everyone, someone played the whole season, it still could have been, you know, any reason why it was a tough year and might not have been the best Version of any specific player. So, how do you go about analyzing the last year from the on the basketball court side as you're looking forward to the next season?
3: Well, we made progress. You know, as as a program, I think as a coach, um, you have an idea of what you want it to look like when it's done your way, when it's done the right way. And even with everything that's gone on, we've made progress in that vein. We've gotten better. Um, we, we we took a, uh, we weren't great defensively, so that's an area where we need to improve on. And I don't I don't think that necessarily had much to do. Well, I, it was a little bit affected by our schedule. Um, and when I say our schedule, I mean our, our off season. You know, it wasn't a normal calendar for us, but we still had some progress um, that needs to be made and and. Uh, Offensively, we were a little bit different because we didn't have the, the, the full team throughout the course of the year. But we made some strides and we found some ways to improve. Um, there is a, a, an overall sense of incompleteness that we felt. Like we were, we, we did get better as the year went on, um, but the absolute best version of ourselves, we didn't think we've got. We got a, a, a true opportunity to realize that potential. Um, but we feel like we're moving in the right direction program wise. So we can look at the basketball technically and assess that. And, um, we notice some areas we need to improve on. And so we can attack that. Um, so I, and it's a level playing field. I think everybody's dealt with the same issue. So it's not like, uh, these things are unique to us.
2: You know, you, you kind of mentioned the progress that the program, uh, kind of went through and the growth that they, you know, Georgia State kind of went through this year. Um, But how would you, you know, kind of categorize your players? Did you think that they responded well to the adversity this year? You know, you obviously mentioned the defense and how things, um, you know, due to the schedule didn't necessarily go how Georgia State um, wanted them to, but you know, like I said, would you say that the players responded well to, um, you know, kind of that adversity and you know performed
3: either at or above your expectations that you kind of set for them at the beginning of the season? Well, we didn't set any expectations in that way at the beginning of the season because we didn't, we weren't 100 sure we were going to have a season, we, and and we made a commitment um, in terms of our mindset was that we were going to make the most of each day and we were going to deal with all the uncertainties cross each bridge when we got to it, you know. um, But so we weren't thinking about the outcome of the season. You know, we we had just experienced uh, as a team the, the previous year where there was no NCAA tournament. And when the year started, there was no real certainty that there would be one. There was talk about it. But uh, once we experienced the reality of that, and then you watch the NBA playing in a bubble. So you, you had to go into the season with this open mind that uh, things that we once thought were unthinkable could be reality. So I think we had to be careful. We talked a lot about just trying to enjoy each day. Each time we had an opportunity to practice, to embrace it, make the most of it. And then when the game started, appreciate the opportunity to compete. And we kind of cruised along there for the first semester and, and didn't have any real significant uh, uh, disruptions. And then after Christmas, we had, we had several uh, such disruptions. So, um, so we, we were hoping that we would be able to finish the season um, the way things had started to go for us for a period there. So in general, I was tremendously proud of our group that we stuck together through some really unique times. And we were affected. Some teams were affected more than other, others. We were one of the teams that were significantly affected by it. And we recovered well enough to trend upwards toward the end of the year. And so um, that takes a level of perseverance and uh, connectedness. And we had those things, and I was proud of that.
1: Looking forward to this next season, Uh, it's obviously a ways out, but the roster, you've got Corey and Kane coming back for their super senior year. You've got a couple of guys coming back from injury. You've got a group of freshmen and a rotation that when everyone was playing last year, you had a a good group of guys that were all finding their roles. So I guess how do you look at the challenges of that as a head coach for finding all the minutes for the guys that can play? Because you know you've got a roster full of guys that – have played Georgia State basketball
3: for you? Yeah, you know, um, you know, what we've talked to these guys about in the offseason is that we're starting over. And so I'm not thinking that far ahead. I'm not thinking about finding minutes for guys and just thinking about us getting back to work and starting from scratch. And I think one of the mistakes a lot of teams make is when you, when you get to a championship game and lose, it's easy to take your mind and fast forward to that last weekend of the season and say, we want to get back to that so we can see the the confetti fall down on us. Um, And we're determined not to make that mistake. Um, And so regardless of who's coming back or what their role was, we're starting over. And so from the first time we get back in June and get to work, we're going to do it with a mindset that we're a talented group with a lot of experience that needs to become a team. And, uh, every team, uh, only has one year lifespan. And when that season is over, you never have the same team twice, even if you have the same personnel. So, uh, that, that's our mindset. We're going to start over and, uh, we're going to try to build the team starting this summer.
1: It's a situation where I think the first two years for different reasons, obviously the reasons that players had to play maybe earlier this past year were completely unique and shouldn't happen again. The freshmen specifically like Jalen and Joe, their freshmen. You had to play a lot from the start just because of where the depth was on the roster. Obviously you're willing to play any guy who's going to perform, but I guess, is it maybe a different situation for the guys that be coming in as freshmen that, they might necessarily get forced into any action due to any roster situation and that they can earn their minutes, but it's not going to be a situation where they're playing before they, you know, before you would want to necessarily.
3: Yeah, I think in an ideal situation, you'd love to have upperclassmen who carry the burden of winning. Uh, you like to have experience on your bench and a, and a rotation of guys who know the system and, the standards and, and understand the culture and young guys that come in behind them that earn their way. Um, and if you were to map it out, you probably want to map it out like that. But I've learned over the years, it doesn't always play out the way you plan. So you got to go into it with an open mind. Like you mentioned, we had guys coming back from injuries. Well, we didn't go into last year knowing that Joe and Nelson were going to experience injuries. Uh, You know, we could have really used uh, Joe started 18 games as a freshman. So that experience would have had great value for us. And Nelson was just under double figures as a scorer and a talented athletic guy who would have gave us more shooting because we weren't a great outside shooting team this year. So that's two key pieces that, that weren't available to us. And you just, can't predict those things and so again I think if you go into it with an open mind that you're starting over and you let the chips fall um because inevitably there are going to be some things that affect your rotation and uh if you're lucky everyone stays healthy everything stays intact going forward and then we have to and then we maybe have that dynamic that you're laying out there um but you never know
2: you know, uh, I I still remember your uh, introductory press conference at Georgia State, and you know, kind of, and we, you know, you mentioned it a hundred times, a thousand times, and we have as well. You know, you talk about size, and you talk about, you know, what you want Georgia State basketball to look at, uh, to look like. Um, you know, but you just mentioned something about the, you know, the program philosophy, and I, I kind of wanted to get your insight on what would you say is the Georgia State philosophy as it relates to, you know, what you ideally want your players to be, you know, looking like and,
3: you know, how you want them to be playing in certain respects. Well, if we're just talking on the court, um, basketball wise, I mean, the last two years we've averaged 80 points a game. So, um, you know, this year we had five guys averaging double digits. Um, and all of those guys return. So what you see happening there, and and you mentioned in press conference, we said we're going to play 94 feet. And we've done that for the most part. But there were times this year where we couldn't do it because we didn't have the depth to do it. Um, But we do want a a fast-paced, high-possession game um, because we believe that if if you have uh, the right collection of players that the the more possessions there are in a game the the right group will will prevail uh if you have guys that can score and you have balance and um you know we we don't want a team that's got one guy averaging 20 plus points and the next closest guy is averaging 9 we want balance and we want Uh, guys that can score from their respective positions on the floor, whether we're playing a small lineup, a big lineup, et cetera. So we want a high possession game. And and we believe you can do that without compromising your ability to defend and rebound at a high level. Um, So uh, we, you know, we believe you can be really good, if not great at more than one thing. Um, But we want to be potent on offense. And we want to be stout on defense. We want to rebound the ball collectively as a team so that we can run um, and put pressure on people's defense. And uh, obviously the three-point line is important. Um, but we still want to find a level of balance offensively and be able to score around the basket. And uh, and we want the right guys scoring in the mid-range. There are some guys who are good at that, who I, I embrace that. I'm still a little bit old school when it comes to that stuff, so we want that balance, and uh, you know, and, and, and I think we found some of that this year, and our our goal would be to continue to progress in that in that way.
2: You don't have to convince me about the mid range thing;
3: it's probably the most aesthetically pleasing shot in the game of basketball. So. <laughs> Well, I think it's it's when, when the right guys are shooting it, it's good. And when the wrong guys are shooting it, it's not. But the same could be said for three-point shooting. You know, um, I think good shooters taking shots they're good at is a good thing.
1: Moving away from the stuff on the court, just, uh, you know, you've been at Georgia State for a couple of years. So what's it like uh, the Atlanta life, just living in Atlanta, this uh, where Georgia State is at? Oh, listen, man, I, I, I love Atlanta. You know, um, I mean,
3: you guys know it's just a great city with uh such a tremendous quality of life. And for me, um I I live in the downtown area, you know, 04 Ward, And I like to walk. You know, I like to be out and be amongst the people and and uh I walk every evening and I, I, I take it all in. I just love the uh the culture and the diversity and uh, just the the, the, the food. Um, I, I, love, I love everything about it. There's an energy about Atlanta that's unique to Atlanta. Um, it's why so many people from all over the world and all over the country come here to live because there's just a, the music, the food, the culture, the history, you name it. It's, it's all right here. You know, you got pro sports, college sports, uh, fortune 500 companies. I mean, you know, international flavor. Um, I, I actually, you know, I got, I got to be good friends with a, uh, with a local high school coach and, um, uh, he challenged me to go bike riding with him. And he, and what it's done is taken me out of my old fourth war bubble and, and he's taken me throughout the city, uh, riding a bike. And so I've, I've, uh, I've been able to touch and get into other areas of the city on, on the bike. It's one thing when you're riding around in a car, it's another thing when you're riding around through the city on your bike. And so I've, I've learned so much about the community through this relationship with my buddy. And uh, so I I just love it. My wife loves it. And uh, that means a lot. You know, I don't know if you guys are married, but when your wife is happy, you heard how that goes. So that that's a true story. And uh, she loves it here. And, and my kids, came here late in their high school career. So they came kicking and screaming a little bit, you know, and, and uh, since then my son won a state championship last year at Woodward and then my daughter just won one this past season and they've feel, feel much more at home here now. So that, uh, so that, that that emotional burden has been lifted off me as well. That, uh, you know, it's funny uh, not to get long winded on this one, but, you know, I I took my son for it. It was was an unbelievable moment. I was driving around with my son. He had come back several weeks ago and I took him to see the construction on the arena. And we were driving around by Aspen, by the football stadium. And, you know, my son, he's a cool kid, you know, and he says to me, you know, when we moved here, I really didn't understand that I didn't want to do it. And now that I've watched your team and I've watched you the last two years and I, and I see this arena going up, it all makes sense to me now, and I'm so happy for you, and I'm so happy we did this. And uh, it was it was a heck of a moment uh, for me as a you know father and son moment, and just a level of maturity on his part, you know, to share that perspective with me. But it also speaks to how we all feel about being in Atlanta now, too. It's really cool. Yeah,
2: no, the you know the connection with Georgia State and kind of the area is it's definitely one. Um, you know, worth growing and, it, you know, it's a phenomenal space and it's a good gig, I would say, <laughs> uh, for anybody. Um, but, you, you know, you mentioned food and, you know, we, on the Thursday night podcast, we love to eat. So we got to hear your favorites. Like what, what is, you know, Coach Lanier going to get whenever he's, you know, looking for some
3: good Atlanta grub? You know what? Um, like I said, I like to walk and, you know, sort of my routine on the way home, I stopped at a, a, at a co-op. Grocery store named Sevenanda. It's a, a vegan, vegetarian like grocery store, and they have a hot food bar there. So that's like a that that that's two or three times a week I'm making that stop. Either getting some prepackaged meals that I can uh, take home or, or or take to work with me, or uh, or going you know going to the hot bar there. Um, and then in in my area uh, there, there's a, a sushi place called Ume Umai. Uh, and then across the street from that is Jack's Pizza. Um, and then when I, you know, I, I've been trying to eat right, but when I want some good fries, there's a place called Fred's uh, in in uh, Cross Street Market that I go to. And uh, when I when I want a smoothie or some oatmeal, I go to uh, a pliable Bowl on the Belt Line. Um, and there's a bunch of other places that that, that I stop at, but th- those are some of the. Uh, some of the places I regularly stop at
2: Have you tried the Fred's burger I know you're trying to eat right
3: but I well, I don't, I, I, don't eat, I don't eat meat so okay. um but you know so but I do I do every so often uh I cheat and have some fries <laughs> and uh and I've and I've had some pizza uh too at, at Crog street but the, you know Jack's pizza is really good and that that's really close to where I, where I live then, then you got you know Highland bakery, Is is right there, and then um, my wife likes the uh, Barcelona, which is down Highland, and then uh, Pancake Social is a nice little spot. And and again, it's all walking distance. So those are the places I frequent the most.
1: Walking distance gives you the excuse you can. I walked here. (laughs) That's That's right. That's right. That's right. You talked about the arena and obviously through this interview, we've talked about how you're not looking very far ahead in general with the team, but how hard is it not to look forward to what that arena, the potential it's going to bring to the program?
3: Yeah. And you know what I've experienced that too. You know, I was at university of Virginia for two years and my first year was the last year in university hall. And my second year was the first year in John Paul Jones arena. So I was there through that, that transition. And uh the excitement and the realization that the, that the program is making a commitment of that magnitude really speaks to the trajectory of the program, the vision for the program which is which is why this opportunity was so um attractive to me from the very beginning from the time I sat with Dr Becker and Charlie Cobb when they when they showed the the renderings of the arena, um, it wasn't about the, uh, the arena itself. The, the arena is more like a, a manifestation of, of, of this bigger vision that that the school has for our leadership has for our basketball program. And obviously um, the arena is going to serve other purposes, but as it relates to basketball, this is something, uh, this is a commitment to athletics that is is uh, it's it's uncommon at our level. And so um, to be a part of that, it's hard to put in words, uh, the responsibility that you feel and how honored you feel to be the person in a position to lead a program that is making this level of commitment. And, uh, I love it. I love it because it, it you know, I said from the beginning, you know, uh, David, you, you know, you, you referenced the press conference, but I, I, I said that the, the vision of our leadership matched my vision and, uh, Certainly, I, I, I believe that we can do great things. And I think as we go forward, I think I'm winning the people over in the program that uh, that thought maybe these grandiose ideas that I believe we can achieve um, are more realistic than I think everybody initially believed. That I was just saying these things because, I, you know, my son used to say, well, you're, not, you're saying that, Dad, just because you're my dad and you want what's best for me. And I had to say to him, no, I'm saying it because I believe it and I believe in you. And this is how I feel about our program. I think the things that I've said to these guys that we should have as goals are real. And, um, and this this arena is 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 in a commitment um, is the reason why I believe that. And it's why I wanted to be here. And, and so I do look forward to it. Um, you know, we deserve that sort of venue. Our fans deserve Nice parking lots and, and the convenience to come and support their team. And uh, I just think it's going to change the way people experience this program because it's a great program that can improve. and uh, And we're in a position to improve it.
1: And the thing I wanted to ask uh, me and David are both obviously basketball crazy. And every March we clear out our calendars as much as we can to watch the NCAA tournaments. And I'm just curious because I've never had the chance to ask the division one NCAA coach about this. Like, what is the March experience for you when you're not in the tournament yourself or your team's not in the tournament anymore with watching it?
3: It depends on what your, how your season ended. It really does, because depending on how you're seasoned, and it, it, it's hard to watch basketball for a while, sometimes. Um, you know, if you're, if you're in the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight and you lose, you really detach yourself from it. You know, if you're just building a program and you're not quite ready for prime time and you don't get there, you can enjoy it as a fan and you can aspire to it, you know you know, for us this year, you know, being at the cusp of it in such a unique year and, uh, really not playing our best basketball in the most important game of the year. Um, I probably couldn't get into the tournament until the sweet 16 round. You know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to watch any basketball and, uh, I'm still upset with my team about certain things that happened in that game. We've talked about, um, but that being said, you know, uh, um, as the season, as as the tournament uh, got, you know, to that Sweet Sixteen, Elite Eight round, I, w- I was into it. You know, I'm am a basketball fan. I love the game, and I, I got into it there down the stretch. It, it was it was awesome to watch uh, so many great games and great teams. And 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 you know, for me at this stage, 32 years into my career, there's very few times where you get to that late in the season and there isn't someone. That I have a personal connection with that's still playing, so um, so I, I can watch with a different level of enjoyment because I've crossed paths with so many people over the years in the profession. That and you're watching their dreams come true, and uh, there's there's an inspiring element to that.
2: You know, I kind of just wanted to ask, like, you know, one final question, just. To sum everything up, what would you say your takeaway from this year, you know, this tournament, this, you know, your experience is one
3: takeaway that you could say you have from all of this? Well, I, I know I've said it before. Like, you know, I was just having this conversation with Evan Johnson the other day because we bow our heads. And we take a moment of silence for those less fortunate than ourselves before and after every game. And Evan said to me, he goes, well, we do it. I don't know if guys really think about it because it's become like routine for us. And I was saying to him, I I really just, it's, it's only less than a minute. I really want you to think about other people. Like take that time to think about other people who aren't as fortunate as you are to do what you love. And I think This year, more than any other year, like we all have had the game taken away from us for a period of time. And a lot of people had a lot more taken away from them. And we got the opportunity once again to play. And we went into the season with a lot of uncertainty about what the season was going to look like and a little bit of trepidation about whether or not we should be playing. And if we weren't playing, what was the alternative? <laughs> because we had experienced the alternative and we couldn't wait to get back to playing. So it was a, I think it was a year at least for us and our message to our team was that we should appreciate the opportunity that we have, try to make the most of it. And I think as much as any year that that I've ever been a fan or been involved with basketball, it was one where I think we should all have a level of appreciation. And uh, and perspective on sports, um, to to uh, not to over uh, uh, inflate the importance of it um, from a social standpoint, but uh, it plays an important role in in our lives. The guys that are involved with it, and uh, and so my message to our team has been that we just have to have a greater appreciation and make the most of it. And uh, and I think this year really helped us you know, kind of crystallized that, that
1: thought. Coach Lanier, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, We'll get you on sooner the next time we have you on, Uh, but enjoy the rest of the off season and uh, looking forward to next fall. I appreciate
3: you guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks coach. All right. Good seeing you.
0: So thank you again to head coach Rob Lanier for joining us for this week's podcast and uh, hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your week. We'll see you back next time. Bye. The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcast. To submit questions and comments or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as @ThursdayNight or via email at thursdaynightgmail.com. at gmail.com.